0: Well, hey y'all, good, uh, good evening. My name is Luke, I'm one of the pastors here. I'm part of our preaching team. And uh, when I was in high school, I remember one Christmas break heading down to Mazatlan with my family and uh, one of my friends and, and uh, his family. And I was so excited when I got into uh, you know Mazatlan, this, this beach town in Mexico, and, and they have all this amazing cheap stuff that's pretty cool. And uh, there I was, a, a high schooler, baseball player, and uh, I thought, you know what would complement this tan that I'm getting here in Mexico would be a, a really great silver chain. You know, you watch the major leaguers and they all, all got big thick chains. It's like, I need, I, need a, I need a silver necklace. So I got this silver necklace and I was pretty pumped about it. I thought I looked pretty sweet. And then a couple of weeks later I was back home and I was hanging out with some friends in the hot tub and they're like, hey, what's wrong with your neck? And I'm like, what do you mean? they're like, your neck's all green. Did you get like a tattoo? And uh, this silver necklace turned out not to be silver. What the heck? How did they not tell me? Uh, It started disintegrating and it uh, it was clearly fake, right? And there's a lot of fake things in this world. There's a lot of things that appear to be one thing, but they don't really last. They don't really have... The real thing. And most people aren't honest about it. Occasionally they are. Uh, I've been to Turkey a number of times. If you ever go to Turkey, uh, make sure you you try to get down to Ephesus. Ephesus is this beautifully preserved ancient site. And once you get through Ephesus, as you leave the archaeological site and the location, they've got all these shops and, you know, all this places for you to get stuff. Well, one, one of the stores there, the sign on the outside, literally, it says genuine fake watches. And it's like, I just appreciate the honesty of this. This is a genuine fake watch, right? But, but how do you know if something's genuine? Is there a way to test it? How about when it comes to our faith? How do we know if the things we believe are true? How do we know if the messages that we're staking our life on are true? Are they genuine? Are they right? Are they correct? Is there a way to test it? that's what's being talked about in this passage here today. The the idea of of where he's going began actually back in chapter 3, verse 24. If you flip back there in your Bible, we'll we'll look at that in just a moment. And chapter 3 was really all about uh, trying to give these folks confidence in their relationship with God. John is writing this. He was uh, one of Jesus' disciples, and he's now an older man, and he's trying to encourage these folks who are discouraged, and they're despondent, and they're deconstructing their faith. And he's saying, hey, you can actually be confident in your relationship with God, and he's trying to encourage him with it, and here's what he says in verse 24 of chapter 3. He says, whoever keeps his commandments abides in God. You can be connected with God, you can be abiding in God, God in him, and by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. So John introduces that one of the ways you can experience confidence and connection with God is to experience the Holy Spirit in your life. Well, that raises an interesting question of, well, how do you know it's the Holy Spirit? versus some other kind of spirit. So look at chapter four, verse one. He says, beloved, just to pause there a second, I I love the tenderness of this, right? He's not upset with these folks, this is tender, he cares about them, he's trying to save them from going off into bad directions, right? Verse one, he says, beloved. Verse four, he says, little children. He, He cares about these folks. Verse one, beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. So how do you know that the, the stuff that's influencing you, the messages that are coming at you, how do you know if those are actually from God or if those are actually from somewhere else? Isn't it interesting, even the first command of verse one, do not believe every spirit. One of the marks of spiritual maturity, maybe you've never thought about this, is actually unbelief. See, spiritual maturity is not just about what you believe, it's also about what you reject. It's about saying, oh, here's these things that I I discern that is incorrect and I do not believe it. (laughs) That's actually part of spiritual maturity. So he says, don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they're from God. And it's interesting because the way spirits reveal themselves is is through messages. We get that from verse 1. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. Well, what's a prophet do? A prophet is communicating. A prophet is giving a message. A prophet is declaring, here's what's true about reality. Here's what's true about you. Here's what's true about humanity. Here's what's true about supernatural things. Here's what's true. It's a, it's a message. So the way you're going to test the spirits is by somehow testing the messages that are coming through. So here's what we're going to look at tonight. Here's the, the direction we'll go is I want to look at, at two things. I want to look at first the reality of spirits and second, how to test the spirits. First, the reality of spirits and then how to test them. So let's, let's pray. Let's ask God's help and we'll uh, get into this. Father, uh, we ask you now, send us your Holy Spirit. Help us to discern what is good and true, what's in accordance with your character and your word. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so first, the reality of spirits. I, I want to spend some time on something that actually John uh, never really explains. He just assumes See, John and all the people reading this letter that he wrote, they would assume the existence of spirits. They assumed that there were angels and demons. They assumed that there was a God. They assumed that there was an afterlife. They assumed that there was a heaven and a hell. They assumed that there was more than just what you could see and taste and touch and sense. They assumed that that they were in what philosophers now would call a transcendent frame. A transcendent frame, meaning there's more than just what's right in front of you, but you're actually part of this transcendent reality. And you can think of a transcendent frame is like a chain-link fence. It's this chain-link fence dividing the physical world that you can see and the spiritual world that you can't. And in John's world and in the people that are reading this letter, they just understood that the world is like a chain-link fence. It's porous. The spiritual Realities and the spirits and the angels and demons are somehow informing and influencing what's happening in the physical world even though we can't see it. That's their assumption. Now, we were raised here in the West, in the secular West, to, to not see it that way. See, secularism denies the existence of spirits. Secularism assumes uh, what Charles Taylor, the philosopher, called a, an imminent frame. So rather than a transcendent frame that goes beyond the physical, we have an imminent frame that's limited to the physical. It's all about what you can see and taste and touch and sense. And so instead of this porous chain link fence, it's a steel wall and there is no spiritual world. And you can't be under the influence of it because it doesn't exist, right? And and you, you talk to secular people and they're like, I mean, demons, like, come on guys, really? I mean, angels, well, that's cute. I understand why you'd want angels, but like, there's no God. There's no supernatural miracles. Like, that stuff just, just doesn't happen. It's an imminent frame. And that's what we would say in the West. Yes, we're, we're sophisticated. We're enlightened. The enlightenment has told us that we're no longer in this world influenced by spirits. And yet, somehow, and I use this word intentionally, somehow we're still haunted by a spiritual reality. You see it even just in the last 10 to 15 years in the interest in all uh, the, the ghost hunters. You see these TV shows and you hear stories. People go like, I don't even believe in God, but I believe in ghosts because I stayed at this hotel once and I got to tell you. Right? Like, like, you go, what is that? that? That's saying there's something else here that I can't see right? There's, what about near-death experiences? We're very interested in that, right? Someone codes on the, on the surgery table and it's like, okay, we brought them back and, and they, they will tell you how my heart stopped and it, and people are like, what, what did you see? Was there a light? Were you moving closer to it or away from it? Tell us about it. Write a book about it. Let's do a movie about it. We'd like to know about this near-death experience. We all believe there's an afterlife, I mean, I'm sure this happens. I've just not yet been to a funeral. I've been to a lot of funerals. I haven't been to one where they're like, you know what? Uh, Bob uh, taking a dirt nap right now and, uh, you know, he's gone. What do we say? Like, this is all there is. No one says that. Listen, Bob is always, he's looking down on us right now. He's in a better place. On the way over here, a butterfly stopped on my hand. and it was Bob. It, listen, my point's not to poke fun at all that. It's it's to say this. We're haunted by the reality that there's more than just what we can see. You see it's superstitions all over the place, right? I told you I grew up in the baseball world. You, there's nowhere in the world more superstitious than the baseball world, right? Like if you're not a baseball person and you go to a baseball game and you watch the players run on and off the field, you might notice like, what is wrong with these guys? Why do they always jump over the line? <laughs> They never touch the line. Why? Cuz they're superstitious. And they might have grown up in some secular place, but it's like, listen, I am not going to upset the baseball gods. <laughs> Cuz I don't want to go into a slump. You go, know, how do we know the world's haunted? How do we know that maybe there's some interest in some kind of transcendent reality? Here's how you know. It's a place called Sedona. <laughs> you been there? Right? Like the, when you first moved to Arizona and people told you, oh, you got to go to Sedona, you're like, oh, this is just really pretty. And then you found out about crystals and vibrations and weirdos. And you're like, what is happening up here? Like, here's what it is it's, we're, we're, we're being haunted. We're, something is popping through our imminent frame. Or think about this not just thinking about spirituality, but even morality. We all share a belief in human rights that only makes sense in a transcendent frame. It only makes sense in a spiritual reality. Because think about it, if all this is, is is just what we have, then, then it really is about Darwinism, it is survival of the fittest, it is the strong, eat the weak, and there's no such thing in that world as injustice, it's just, I was better than you. And so you can't be upset that that someone didn't love you. You can't be upset that someone mistreated you. They were just stronger than you. Get over it. And yet everything in us goes, that's not right. That can't be true. Why? Because we know there's something more. We know that we're in a spiritual reality. This is why some people, maybe some of you tonight would say, you know what? I'm not really into this religion thing. I'm I'm more spiritual, but not religious. And I want to tell you, I have a great respect for you because I think you're actually closer to reality than secularism. Because we do live in a transcendent world. We do live in a spiritual world. And yet the assumption of people who say, well, I'm spiritual, but not religious, is the assumption is that usually the spirits that they're connecting with and the spiritual forces that are driving them are good. And I always want to go, how do you know? What if they're not? What if, they, what if they're actually not good? How, how could you discern it? And so John comes into this and he says, listen, I'm just telling you, there's a reality of living in a spirit, spiritual world and there's some spirits that are from God. See it, verse one, beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Verse two, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. So there's some spirits that are from God. These are the spirits, it says in verse six, that are the spirit of truth. And then there's other spirits that are not good. There's other spirits that seek to harm you or seek to destroy you. These are spirits that are proclaimed by false prophets. They're they're actually what strengthen and motivate and propel the false prophets in verse 1. In verse 3, it says these spirits that don't confess Jesus, they're not from God. It says this is the spirit, verse 3, of the Antichrist. So there's this this not from God, Antichrist. Verse 5, they're from the world. Verse 6, it's the spirit of error. And by the way, just to pause on Antichrist for a second, a lot of Christians will get all like bent out of shape looking for who's the Antichrist. And the emphasis in the Bible is not on finding the Antichrist. The emphasis in the Bible is on resisting the spirit of Antichrist that animates everything that's against Christ. So sometimes people go, well, is it this person? Is it this person? Is it, per- is it, is it this person? And, and the Bible seems to indicate perhaps there will be like an ultimate the Antichrist. But in a sense, it's the same spirit of Antichrist. It's the same like uh, opposed to Jesus spirit that's animating all the people who might be candidates. It's why they all seem like legitimate candidates. Because it's the same spirit empowering and undergirding them. Are the spirits you're listening to or the messages that are forming you are the things you're adopting as truth for you and for your kids and for your family and for your future, are they true? Are they right? Are they from God? Are they the spirit of truth or are they from the world? Are they antichrist? Are they error? We live in a spiritual world. We've got to learn to test the spirits, and so that's the second thing: is how to test the spirits. And we see this command in verse one: "Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits. Test these spirits. How do you test these spirits? We well, got to consider again if the spirits are coming through messengers. Then this is about messages. So this means that we need to pay attention to the things that are being told to us, that are being shoved at us constantly, and test it. How do you do it? Well, here are some wrong tests." These are really common. Does it feel good? Does it make me happy? Because after all, you think, well, God wouldn't want me to be unhappy. At which point I want to stop and go, who told you that? Was it the Holy Spirit who said, actually, what's most important is transforming you into the image of Jesus and realizing that it's actually going to be suffering that's going to produce character? character that's going to produce endurance and endurance that's going to produce hope and that all that's going to lead to you being like Jesus? Is that who told you that of course God wouldn't want you to be happy? No. Was the Holy Spirit who said actually if you're going to follow Jesus you've got to pick up your cross which means pick up your execution method and die to yourself and follow him. Is that who told you that God wouldn't want you to be happy or was it some other spirit? formed by some other reality see it it's not about whether it makes you feel good or whether it makes you happy the question is is it true is it from God or what about this here's here's another wrong test is does it feel normal does it feel normal or similar do my friends think it's okay right you don't have to be in junior high to be worried about what your friends think of you Right? But this is how we try to value it. Well, well, everybody kind of does this, and this is pretty normal, and this isn't that strange, and this is just pretty typical. Like My friends all sort of think this. Okay, here's the problem with that. Norms change. What's considered normal right now may not be considered normal in the future. And it wasn't necessarily considered normal back in the day. So he, th- think about this. This is an example that comes from uh, Dr. Tim Keller. Uh, Keller was... Uh, pastor in New York City, recently went to be with the Lord, and a uh, few people have influenced uh, my ministry and life from a distance as much as, as Keller. And one of the stories he would tell is he'd say, okay, imagine, imagine you have a young man, and let's just for the sake of the conversation say this young man is 17 years old, and this young man has two really strong internal desires. One internal desire is he, he really is angry, and he's upset, and he feels overlooked, and he feels embarrassed, and he wants to overcome all of his anger by expressing it through violence. He would like to fight somebody, he'd like to beat somebody up, he might even like to kill somebody. That's how, that's how much anger is in him. So that's one desire. The, the, the second desire is that he's only romantically and sexually attracted to men. That's, that's what he wants. That's what his heart craves. So, okay, 17-year-old, really wants to do violence, really wants to be in a same-sex relationship. Now, let's take that young man. Let's just transport him, time travel him back to, I don't know, 12th century Anglo-Saxony in Europe. Which, which of the two desires would feel normal there? Which ones would his friends be like, yeah, man, do it. Violence, right? Like he'd get this big giant sword. We'd get some blue face paint for him. Like freedom. Here's a kilt. Like we can do this, man. Like violence all day long. Go for it. But uh, hey, that other thing, keep that to yourself. Because if the authorities find out about that, it's going to be a problem. Okay, now you take the exact same young man and you put him in 2023, Arizona. Now what feels normal? Well, the exact opposite, right? Everybody's gonna go, hey man, you, know, you gotta be true to yourself. You, know, you gotta be true to those desires. You gotta, lo- love is love. You just, you, know, you gotta do that. But hey, that like mass murder thing, don't tell anyone about that. If the authorities find out about that, you could be in big trouble. You get the point. What's normal changes. That can't be the test. The test has to be not just what's normal right now in 2023, but what is good in God's eyes. How does God see it? So there's the wrong test. What are, what are the right tests? Well, there's two that this passage gives us. The first one is this. Does it align with the scriptures? Does it align with the scriptures? Look at verse six. John says something that at first glance seems like stunningly almost arrogant until you actually think about who it is that's writing this here's what he says verse six we are from God whoever knows God listens to us whoever is not from God does not listen to us by this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of air so how do you know if it's the spirit of truth or the spirit of air John says if they listen to us if they listen to me if they listen to the apostles and at first you're like gosh who does this guy think he is and then you're like wait a minute this guy walked with Jesus for three years he was in the room when he raised the little girl from the dead. He saw him give a man sight, right? John was one of the disciples hauling around a big basket full of extra bread and fish after he fed the 5,000. John saw it. He was an eyewitness to these things. So, so who are you going to go with? Well, here's the challenge. And this must have just absolutely driven John crazy. Because what's happening in this, in this church is that there are some people who are like, yeah, 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 I know what John says about Jesus, but I watched this YouTube video. (laughs) And I was listening to this podcast and it was really pretty interesting. They were connecting some dots in some ways. I mean, it was pretty wild. And, uh, you know, it seems like Jesus maybe, like he he came in a body for a while, but he like took it off before he went to the cross and all that, like, and John must just be going like, you've gotta be kidding me. Like, you're in my church. And I was with him. I was the only guy left standing there while he was crucified. I saw the blood. I saw the water. I saw it come out of his body. And you're going to go with some guy on YouTube? John's going, am I taking crazy pills? What is happening? Right, which which this is wild. I mean, think about this. If people that close to John can get seduced, then that tells you there is real spiritual power at work and we better be on our guard. Does it align with the scriptures? Right, John is part of this larger tradition of the apostles and the prophets, these people who were eyewitnesses to the work of Jesus and who testify as to the validity of scripture. And so that's the first thing to test, is do we know if the messages we're believing are good? Well, are they aligned with scripture? Are they aligned with the the teaching of the apostles and the prophets? And then the second test, and this is what I want to spend the most time on, is this, this question, is does it reduce Jesus? Does it reduce Jesus? Look at verse 2. By this you know the Spirit of God. So here's how you know. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist. So, when John here says that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, that is probably like a one sentence, almost creedal kind of framework to describe the entirety of who Jesus is and what he did. Right? This is the Son of God, Jesus, God who saves. He's the Christ, that's the Jewish Messiah, and he's come in the flesh, meaning this is the entirety of the incarnation and the perfect obedience of Jesus and the substitution of Jesus on the cross and the. burial and the resurrection and the promise to return all of that Jesus is doing in his body right and part of what's going on in these days is there's a kind of pre-gnosticism. Gnosticism Gnosticism was the the teaching uh, especially prevalent a century or so later after this that would say that the body is really bad and icky and the soul and the spirit is really good. So there's a kind of proto-gnosticism going on that John's dealing with But, but, but whatever the case is he's saying hey Anything that's reducing Jesus is antichrist. But anything that's the full Jesus, that's from the Holy Spirit. I saw the Barbie movie recently. Did you see it? And uh, it was pretty good. I mean, it's funny. And uh, it's really visually well done and, and creative. And, um, and uh, it's super thought-provoking. Like most movies, you're like going, what are they trying to say? Not this one, you know what they're trying to say. It's pretty clear. And I actually think when the culture says, here's what we think about stuff, it's like, I wanna pay attention to what are they saying because I don't wanna be seduced by it. And so anyway, I don't care if you go see the movie or not, but one of the things that reminded me was, you know, I think of Barbie, I just think of the stereotypical blonde Barbie. And the movie highlights uh, all the different things that Mattel did to help people feel like Barbie was more like them. Right, so you had school teacher Barbie, and you had Dr. Barbie, and you have President Barbie, and you have Astronaut Barbie, and you have Wheelchair Barbie, and you have all the different Barbies. They even had a Pregnant Barbie at one point. The, the movie makes a big point that they discontinued that one. So you can have any kind of Barbie you want, just not a mom one, which is part of the point of the movie. Anyway, it made me think, you know what? That's actually how we treat Jesus. We have all these different editions of Jesus to make him just a little bit more like us. So I was reflecting, what are some additions of Jesus, some versions of Jesus that are prevalent today that are actually a reduction? Here's one, the fortune cookie Jesus. Fortune cookie Jesus offers you occasional wisdom, pithy quotes, sentimental warm fuzzies. Some of his words end up on a coffee mug and it's so hmm, cozy. He might even make you lucky You might want to hang near this guy. He's good luck. But you know what he says and who he is. Take it or leave it. It's no big deal. It's just fortune cookie Jesus. Or what about hell insurance Jesus? Hell insurance Jesus is always popular. As long as we still believe in an afterlife. Because who wants to go to hell? Right? You sit with angry people and go, what do you think? Heaven or hell? Well, give me heaven. So the hell insurance Jesus protects you from that. You just have to pray a prayer. Then you can do whatever you want. Jesus is your savior, but he's not your Lord. Don't worry about any of his commands, they don't matter. Don't submit to him, just trust him and then live your life. That's hell insurance, Jesus. What about Santa, Jesus? He knows if you've been bad or good, so be good for goodness sake. You better watch out. You better not cry. You better not pout. I'm telling you why. He's making a list, he's checking it twice. He's gonna find out who's naughty or nice. He sees you when you're sleeping. Santa is terrifying, by the way. Like I'm going, why do we ever think this guy is like cheerful? This is horrible. He sees me when I'm sleeping. What is happening? This is like, oh, I'll make the I'll make the nice list. I don't know, man. Not if he sees everything. And so a lot of us have Santa Jesus. Like all that matters, just be a good person. Be good for goodness' sake. Well, but what about what you believe? Doesn't matter. Just be a good person. Santa Jesus. What about influencer Jesus? Influencer Jesus. He's he's more than willing to sign an NIL deal with you. He'll loan you his name, image, and likeness so that you can uh, put uh, his name or a Bible verse in one of your social media bios. Once you do that, you're just covered with the influence of Jesus. His credibility will help you so that when you're a mean wicked troll to people online, it'll be like, "Hey, it's okay. I'm connected to Jesus." When you're posting thirst trap pictures of yourself, it's okay cuz Philippians 4:13. <laughs> or what about Patriot Jesus? He loves the world, but he really loves America. Every day begins with the Pledge of Allegiance. He gets very nervous when Democrats are in office. He starts thinking someone should do something about this. And the one thing he's really been rethinking was that whole my kingdom is not of this world thing. He feels like that was way off. I, it really should be of this world. Or what about woke Jesus? You can get woke Jesus. Woke Jesus loves every country in the world except America as long as you can show that you're part of a group that's had a really rough time for many centuries, you can do whatever you want. Want to sleep with them? Want to be attracted to them? Want to become that? Hey, whatever. Just do you, man. This Jesus never talked about that. Love is love. Or what about the almost God Jesus. He's a heck of a guy. He might even be a prophet, right? He he might even have some divinish tendencies, but he's not eternally God. So you should listen to him, but worship him. Ah, that's too much. Right? We could go on and on. I mean, we could just keep thinking of these different editions of Jesus. But what do they all have in common? In every single one of them, they reduce Jesus. In every single one of them, Jesus gets smaller and we get bigger. That's what happens in all of it. Right, That is exactly what the spirit of the Antichrist said to Eve in the garden. You know what the problem is, Eve? God's holding out on you, and if you just eat this fruit, you will be like God. You'll be bigger, he'll be smaller. This is why the title of tonight's sermon is, A Small Jesus is a False Jesus. In all these cases, Jesus gets smaller. Jesus shrinks. Jesus gets partial. Jesus gets truncated. And, and that's the spirit of error. That's the spirit of falsehood. That's the spirit of the Antichrist. And I want us to embrace the spirit of truth. To go, okay, who, well, well, then who is Jesus really? Oh man, I'm so glad you asked. Who is Jesus? He is the best. I mean, Jesus is the one who, when he would teach, so often people would hear him teach. And these were people who, they were used to hearing scribes and teachers and leaders. They, they heard sermons all the time and they would hear Jesus. And at the end of the sermon, they would say, man, he speaks like he has authority that no one else has. And then Jesus would get stuck in a situation, and all these people opposed him because they were jealous because he obviously had more authority than them, and they'd try to trap him with some sort of question. And then he would just like Houdini himself out of it and like back at him, and everyone would go, man, no one talks like this, man. (laughs) And then Jesus, he's the one that's so powerful, he's so big, he's so mighty That one day, he and his disciples are on this boat. These are expert fishermen, and they are freaking out for their lives because the storm is that bad. And Jesus stands up, says to the storm, be still, and it goes totally quiet. And these people who'd been following him for a long time at that point are like, whoa, what is happening? Who is this, they say. Even the wind and the waves obey him. Who is Jesus? Jesus is the one who predicted his own death. He told his disciples, he said, listen, we're going to go into Jerusalem and I'm going to be betrayed and I'm going to be flogged and I'm going to be crucified. And one of his disciples, Peter, came along and said, whoa, 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 Jesus, that doesn't sound right. Because Jesus, I'm into this Lion of Judah thing and it sounds to me like you're describing this Lamb of God thing. And, and, and Jesus, we're not, listen, Jesus, remember, we are lions, not sheep. And Jesus says, get behind me, Antichrist, Satan. You're shrinking me. Because part of my glory is that I'm going to suffer and die even when I don't deserve to so that I can make the world new. So listen, that's who Jesus is. He is, he is God and man. He is truth and grace. He is lion and lamb. He is savior and Lord. He is king and he's friend. This is who Jesus is and he's worthy to receive all glory and honor and power forever. And so I just want to encourage us, Redemption Gateway, we want the real thing. Don't settle for a substitute that in a few weeks is going to prove itself to just kind of fall apart. But hold fast to the pure, to the good, to the righteous, Jesus. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for Jesus. God, thank you that we get to experience him and to see him in his glory, in his fullness. Lord, it's hard to even comprehend, but we thank you for that. God, forgive us for the ways that we shrink him. Forgive us for the ways that we believe messages about him and about us that aren't true. And God, would you recalibrate our minds? Would you help us to take our thoughts captive? Would you help us to test everything and to hold fast to what is good? Help us, we pray God, to see Jesus. We pray it in his name, amen.